Well, welcome to Crossroads Church and Crossroads Live, everyone out there. Uh, if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Matt Manning. I'm the senior pastor at Crossroads Church, and I'm so thankful that wherever we're at, that we're able to gather during this hour to be able to go to God's Word, to lift our voices in worship, to attend communion together. And so if this is your first time at Crossroads, I want to say welcome to you. My hope is that the, your first time is not your last time, but rather over this next hour that you would be inspired through the worship today to join us again. So if you have your Bibles or if there's a Bible laying around you, we would love for you to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 6. That's where we're going to be today as we continue our series in the gospel of Luke. And if you're brand new uh, to church world, to the Bible, just know that the gospel of Luke is one of four accounts of Jesus's life, the eyewitness accounts of Jesus's life. And really the whole premise of this series is to simply investigate who Jesus is. That when it comes to Jesus, what we find is that a lot of people People know like Bible stories about Jesus, but very few of us actually, if we were hard pressed, know like the story of Jesus. Like what made him so significant? What made him so special? What made him that so special that people would follow him? And even like, even what does it mean to truly be in relationship with him? Those are important questions that, that all of us need to ask, whether you've been in church for, for decades or whether this is your first time. Because ultimately, the reason that every single one of us is here is because we want to be able to decide for ourselves if Jesus is who he says he is, if he loves us and cares for us the way that the scriptures tell us he does, if he's worth following and giving our lives too. And so I just believe that the best way for us to be able to do that is just to simply look at the eyewitness accounts of Jesus's life and be able to make that decision for ourselves, seeing truly who he was, who he is, and what he was all about. And so for the last couple of weeks, we've been in this series and we picked up right in one of Jesus's most famous teachings. Luke calls it the Sermon on the Plains. And really over these last couple of weeks, we've discovered that while this is a sermon that Jesus gave here and, and a like sermon that he gave in the book of Matthew, and this was probably a sermon and teachings that he gave in many places and many different times to many different people, that ultimately what this became for Jesus was his manifesto for experiencing human flourishing in this world now. And so if you've been a part of this series the last couple of weeks, then you know two weeks ago we looked and started with this sermon on the plains, and we looked at the very first teaching that Jesus gave in this, where he, where he came to people, and he came to people and he said, if you're poor, if you're living on like the outcasts of society, on the fringes of, of culture, if you're hungry, if you're sad, if people are, are judging and hating you, if you are like a hot mess, the good news for you is that that doesn't like disclude you from the kingdom of God. That doesn't, that doesn't push you away from the kingdom of God. In fact, there's a seat for you here. That there's a seat for, for everyone right here in the kingdom of God. And then last week, we looked at Jesus' most radical teachings, one of the ones that is so difficult for us to grasp and to understand. It goes against the grain of every intuition that we have as humans. And yet, if we grab a hold of this one's teaching, we have the potential to absolutely change the trajectory of this world and to bring healing to our communities. And that one radical teaching that Jesus says, I'll just put it in his words, is to be merciful the way our Heavenly Father is merciful. And Jesus says, if you can just get a hold of this in your life, if, if you can just apply this into your life and begin to love your enemies and to pray for those who have hurt you and to forgive those who have harmed you, then you can change the world and you can bring healing into your communities right now. Be merciful as your heavenly father 
is merciful. And today, as we kind of wrap up this short, just three-week look at, at this famous teaching of the Sermon on the Plains, Jesus today challenges and confronts one of the most deeply held beliefs that we have as a culture, that we're all good people, and sometimes we just do bad things. So what I want to do is I want to take you all the way back to September of 2007. I was a fresh-faced pastor here at Crossroads Church. In fact, my title at that point was the next-gen pastor, and I had come on staff that summer. And during September, and really every September, the pastors of the church go away to a denominational gathering. And since I came in the summer, the hotels were already booked, the tickets were already bought, and so I was the guy staying at home to like hold down the fort of the church. And right before Pastor Kim, our former senior pastor, left for this trip, he got a phone call from someone in the community that was, that was loosely tied to Crossroads Church, that a man in their family had passed away in his early 50s, and they were wondering if he could do the funeral. And as he gave his condolences, he said, sadly, you know, while I would love to do this funeral for you, that I, I actually can't. I'm going out of town, and most of the pastors at Crossroads will be out of town this weekend. But we have a, a guy, a brand new pastor, young guy, who is able and willing to do it if you're up for it. And so the family thought that was a pretty good deal, and so uh, they asked me to do the funeral. Now, this was one of the very first funerals that I had ever done here at Crossroads Church. And so it was a Thursday that I was meeting with the family to, to plan the funeral. Now typically, usually, when we plan a funeral, the people who, who show up to the planning would be like a child if it's a funeral for a parent, or maybe a sibling, or, or if it's someone who died young, typically it's a parent actually planning their children's funeral. But this one was a little bit odd because it was none of those people. It was a sister-in-law from one side of the family and a niece from the other side of the family. And I came in, and I sat down, and we began to talk, and I gave my condolences, and I started to ask a few questions, and they said, well, actually, like, we have a request of you. Um, it might be a little bit odd, but, but we thought we would ask, and it would be really good if you were able to do it. And I was like, sure, what, what, what is it? And they looked at me, and they said, well, a few years ago, uh, this man who died actually started to become a practicing Jew, like, like he was practicing Judaism. And we were wondering if you could do, like, like a Jewish funeral. And like in this moment, <laughs> as they're asking this of me, like I am totally reeling because while I know the Tahan, like the Jewish funeral rites, like, like I can't do them. Like I'm not a rabbi. Like I have no authority to be able to do this for them, nor could I, right? Because like, like this guy, you know, one of the big differences between Judaism and Christianity is like this guy named Jesus, right? And so like I'm reeling in this moment and trying to think like, what do I do? How, how did I get into this? And so almost immediately I thought of the synagogue that's actually on the north part of town here. It's a little more liberal in their views when it comes to Judaism and that maybe they would be willing to, to do the, the burial rites because when it comes to Jewish law, the person has to be buried in like two days and this guy had been dead for like two weeks. And so I tell them that maybe the synagogue would be able to help them out. They seemed like that would be a good idea. And so I excused myself from the conference room. I shut the door behind me. I pulled out my flip phone and I called Pastor Kim. He picked up. I didn't even say hi to him. I was just like, man, what in the world did you do to me? Like, like this is a Jewish guy and they want me to do like a Jewish funeral. How am I going to do that? He doesn't, it's not like he even doesn't believe in Jesus. Like he has totally rejected Jesus. What did you do to me? And <laughs> thankfully, Pastor Kim like gently walked me away from the ledge and, and we came up with some semblance of a plan. 
I got off the phone with Pastor Kim. I, I called the synagogue in the area. I kind of told him the story. And, and the guy that I was talking to actually started to laugh that a Baptist pastor was going to do a Jewish funeral. He told me he was sorry that they weren't able to do it. And, and so I hung up the phone. I kind of put myself back together. And I walked back into the conference room to meet with the family. And as I sat down with the family, it was those moments in life where, where I wanted to do this, give this guy a great funeral. Like, I believe, regardless of, of whether we differ on our beliefs, that, that every person is, is worthy of dignity in life and in their death. And I wanted to give this guy a great funeral. I wanted to dignify him well in his funeral. And so I just started asking some questions about the guy to, to understand him. I didn't know him. I didn't know who he was. I'd never met him. And, and so I just started asking questions about his life. And, and I came to find out that he had a daughter who he, was, who he had a, this tenuous relationship, and she lived in another state that his ex-wife and him, that they were estranged and so was his siblings, that he still had a parent who was alive, but something had happened years ago and so they weren't really talking. He had a best friend, but a couple of months before that, they had this disagreement and really had broken off the relationship. And the more that, that these two ladies talked about this man, the more that I realized that every relationship that this guy had was a complete dumpster fire. It was just a dumpster fire. And so I took my notes the best I could to to try to give this guy a great funeral. And as we were wrapping up the meeting, I just asked, like, how many people should we plan for in the funeral? And we agreed about 100 or so people would show up. Now, if you can imagine, the day of the funeral was actually more wild than the actual meeting that we had <laughs> earlier in the week. And the daughter showed up with a friend, and uh, they were 45 minutes late to her dad's funeral. And as we were sitting there gathering, waiting for the funeral to begin, there was 13 of us in the room. And only three out of the 13 actually knew the guy. The daughter, the sister-in-law, and the niece. And it got to the point in the funeral where I invited family to be able to come up and, and just to speak, to say a word about the one who passed. And this man's daughter gets up and and walks behind the podium at our North Glen campus, and she takes a deep sigh, and she looks at me, and with all the, all the confidence that she could muster, she looked at me and she said, my dad was a good man. He just had a habit of doing some really bad things. In Jesus' sermon on the plane, in some of his very last words that he speaks in this sermon, here's what he says, chapter 6, verse 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from brandle bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Never in my entire life has there been a more graphic display of this teaching of Jesus than in those early days here at Crossroads, doing that funeral as a fresh-faced pastor. I mean, just in three verses— Jesus cuts to the center of who we are, and he challenges one of the most precious, one of the most deeply held cultural values that we have. We're all good people, but sometimes we just do bad things. 
See, everywhere that we go in culture, everywhere that you go in culture, there's this ingrained reality to every single one of us that we believe about ourselves. And it's very persuasive. It's, it's a powerful myth. And it goes like this, that sure, the world has some corruption in it. And sure, even there's like a shadowy side to who I am. But deep down, like, like deep, deep down, like we're all good. We're all gold. We're pure. And Jesus comes on the scene at the end of the sermon of the plains, and he goes, no, 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 no. That's blindness to our blindness. He says, look, you can't have bad fruit on a good tree. Now, when Jesus says bad fruit, he actually uses the Greek word soros. And soros means evil. It means damaging. It means rotten. It means bad. That's what soros means. Now, in Colorado, in Colorado, we love our peach trees, don't we? Particularly this time of year, we love our peach trees. And so I want you to imagine just for a moment that I was to invite you to my house and that I had this, this peach tree in my backyard. And as you come into my backyard, I'm like, man, you got to see my awesome peach tree. And I take you back there and there's, and there's peaches growing out on the peach tree and, and you go up to reach for one of the peaches. And I go, oh, no, 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 no. You don't actually want to eat those. Those are like bitter. Those are nasty. Like, like don't touch those. You, you don't want any of the, of the fruit off of this tree. And you would look at me and you'd be like, really? Like, really? And i go, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is an awesome peach tree. Just, just don't eat the fruit. Don't pick the fruit. It's bad. It's bitter. And you would look at me and you'd go, <laughs> like, you're crazy. Because every single one of us knows that, that good trees produce good fruits. And bad trees produce bad fruits. And the simple thing, the very simple thing that Jesus wants us to see in just these three verses, this very short teaching. Jesus says, I need you to know this. I need you to, to live this. That we are what we say and do, even when it's hard to admit. Jesus says, look, look, you are what you say and do, even when it's hard to admit. I mean, if you're a football fan, you've probably heard a saying similar to this, right? Bill Parcells, the, the great NFL coach, one time after he was coached a Giants game, season wasn't going well for him, and they asked him about his record, and he says, your record is what it is. Like, you are what your record says you are. What you say and do, you are what you say and do, even when it's hard to admit. And Jesus says, it's true of you. And there's something in every single one of us that goes, no, 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 it's not. No, it's not. And Jesus goes, yes. Yes, it is. And where he gets this from, and the reason that he says this, is ultimately verse 45. He says that the good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. That you are what you say and do, even if it's hard to admit. Now, if you're at all familiar with the Bible and the things of the Bible, then you know that these metaphors of good fruit, good treasure, bad fruit, bad treasure, that they are littered all over the New Testament, that we find these metaphors everywhere, that these are some of the favorite metaphors used by Jesus and of the New Testament writers. And what they illustrate time and time again, over and over again, is that out of my heart, out of the center of who I am, out of the core of who my, I am, my actions and words follow. And the issue for us, the issue for us, if we are honest, is that we don't really like to hear that. We don't want to admit that. So when something goes like, like wrong in our lives, and let's say that we say something just mean-spirited, 
almost immediately, for most of us, we would go, you know what, I'm sorry. It's been a really stressful day, and, 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 and man, I just, don't, I just don't know why I said it. It must be the stress. And Jesus looks at us and goes, no, it's not the stress. That, that mean-spirited comment, it came from your heart. And when you do something that, that tears down your kids, Jesus says, that didn't come from you just having a bad day. That came from your heart. And when impatience overrides your good sense, Jesus says, that didn't just come because someone cut you off on the road earlier. That came from your heart. That when your eye wanders, when, when you burst out in anger, when you judge, when you cheat, when evil seeps from the inside of you and you go, whoa, 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 where did that come from? Jesus goes, it came from your heart. That all of life comes from your heart. You have a bad heart. And that's why you say what you say and do what you do. And when we come to, to understand this, man, this is a harsh reality check for us. And for some, for some, they come to church and they say, look, like, like give me the steps to become a, a better person. And you're looking for like the self-esteem stuff and, and the thing, the self-help stuff. Do these four things. Don't do these five things. Follow this. And certainly, listen, if you have destructive patterns in your life, you need to stop them. You need to get away from them. If you're an alcoholic or a drug addicted or sex addicted or, or you have gambling problems or, or you're spending, overspending yourself into deep debt, you need to stop. You need to get out of those places. That if there is destruction happening in your life, you need to get away from those. But listen, Jesus wants something far more for us than just changed behavior. He's looking for, for new people. And when we face this harsh reality check and this simple, simple teaching, we realize, come on, we realize that we can't just simply do better, can we? I mean, every single one of us has, has tried to do better in our lives. And maybe for a season, we do. We do better. We work harder. We change some things in our life. But eventually, isn't this true? Eventually, every single one of us fails. And we realize that behavior modification isn't the answer. And in that moment, Jesus stands up. And he goes, the answer bad tree leads to bad fruit. And we go, I need a new tree then. Like, like, how do I get a new tree? And this is the beauty of Jesus, that he comes with compassion and, and tenderness, and, and he speaks to our heart, the center of who we are, the core of, of what makes us us. And he looks at us and he says, all of life comes from the heart. Your words they come from the heart. Your deeds, your actions, your motivations, all of that comes from your heart. And your problem, Jesus says, is that you have an old heart. And that heart is rebellious towards God. And, and that heart really is dead. That's a dead heart. And when we realize this, when that gets deep inside of us, all of a sudden, we begin to realize what, what makes Jesus so special. What made Jesus worth following? 
That all of a sudden we realize that behavior modification isn't the answer. Do better, try harder. That's not it. And in those moments, we start to turn and we run to Jesus and we fall before him and we cry out and we go, God, take this heart of stone. Give me a new heart. And in that moment, God does. And by no means is it perfect, but it's new. And it's driven by the, by the Holy Spirit of God, and it knows the grace of God, and it knows the mercy of God. And increasingly, increasingly, it is made to be more and more and more and more like Jesus every single day. Listen, God doesn't just want you to do better or to try harder. He wants to totally uproot your life and replant you next to him, regenerating your hearts. And so if you're here today trying to get your life together, I'm going to encourage you not to worry about your behavior just yet. That we need to get you connected to Jesus. Because it's when you're connected with Jesus that you begin to change from the inside out. Not the outside in like behavior modification, but rather from the inside out. Where you come to Jesus and you take the sorrows, the evil, the sin, the bad fruit of your lives. And you go, Jesus, take this. And Jesus says, I will, because this is what I died for. And this is what I rose for. And we come to him in all of our need. And we call out to Jesus as our Savior. And we receive from him a new heart, a new life, so that we can be a good tree producing good fruit. Years ago, I had the opportunity to lead a woman to faith in Christ. I was in seminary. This was about 20 years ago. And a few weeks later, she came back to me. And when she did, she, she shared a little story and she said, Matt, for years, for years, I tried to do all of this on my own. For years, I, I ran as hard as I could away from Jesus. And she goes, it was frustrating. It was frustrating. And she said, a few weeks ago, when, when I gave my life to Jesus, she goes, instead of running away as fast as I could, I've been running towards him as fast as I can every single day. And what I used to do, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't enjoy it. I was once stuck, but God got me out. And then she said something that I'll never forget. She looked me in the eye and she said, Matt, I'm a new person. I'm a new person. And I just looked back at her and I said, yes, you are. Yes, you are. Look, when she accepted Jesus on that day, she wasn't saying, God, can you just put some good fruit on this bad tree? Like, like on this limb, just duct tape some peaches. That's not what she was doing in that day. That she realized that she came to Jesus and she said, I, I need a new tree. I need a new heart. I, I need a new life. And that's what our God does every day. That's what our God does. That's the life that he calls us to. And so my question for you is, is, how's life going? Honestly, when you look at the fruit of your life, what's there? Is it sorrows? Is it evil? Is it rotten? Is it bitter? Is your life one that is, that's characterized by selfishness and pride, deceit, disruption, despair? Or when you evaluate your life, is it, is it one that's bearing good fruits? When you look around your, your life, do you see joy and peace? Do you see hope and patience? What is it that you see when you, when you look at your life? See, I imagine for some of you, 
that these three verses, they explain your entire life. That for your entire life, you've, you've tried to be good. You've tried to live the good life. And the problem, Jesus says, bad tree produces bad fruits. You'll never have good fruits. You need to be uprooted, replanted. And in that moment, you get a new heart and a new life. And what follows is a life of hope and joy and peace. And so we're going to do something a little bit different than we typically do. But as we walk into communion today, I want to give you just a, a moment or two to be by yourself with Jesus. Maybe just to evaluate your life before him. And maybe for some of you, you've, you've never actually done this before. And maybe in this 60 seconds, 90 seconds that I give you here, maybe your prayer is just a simple prayer of God. I realize that I can't change anything on my own that I need you to change me. At the depth, at the core of who I am, at my heart level, I'm asking you to dig up my old life and to give me new. So just take these 60 seconds and spend that time talking to Jesus. Jesus spoke to 